Hey ladies and gents, welcome to the Controlled Interest Gamecast, where we talk about video games and everything happening in the industry. I'm your host, Jared Weich. As always, I'm joined by Dom Orlando. Praise, praise the sun. Praise the sun. Episode 197, inching ever closer to that illustrious episode 200. Uh, yeah, we have uh, some good news to go over. Quite a bit of Xbox stuff, a couple of PlayStation things. Um, we're not going to be going over... I mean, on my end, we're not going to be going over much of what I've played just because it's either stuff I've talked about numerous times or obviously The Last of Us Part Two, which Dom and I have kind of talked about how we want the next time we really dive into it to be a separate spoiler cast we're going to record and upload. So, um, you know, look out for that. Um, I'm about 15 and a half hours in. Uh, the game relatively takes between 22 to 25 hours to complete. So I'll definitely have it done by next week. And then it's just about when we plan our spoiler cast. Uh, oh, Dom, you were playing through a second time. Are you done? Or how far are you in on your second playthrough? Uh, just a little bit farther than you are on your first, actually. So um, I'm like, I've been getting all the collectibles and everything this time through. So I'm just about to get a platinum trophy for this guy. Really awesome. Exciting. Yeah. I heard it was an easy platinum. So yeah, it's pretty much just collectibles and upgrades. Um, there's no difficulty. Um, implications or anything like that so yeah it's nice and leisurely awesome uh let's hop into this quickie news first up we have some activision bungie news so if you're not familiar marty o'donnell was a former bungie exec pretty big name he's been with them for a while back to the halo days of microsoft and he recently did an interview with a prominent halo youtuber where he answered a bunch of questions specifically regarding a lot of the partnership details that bungie had with activision right because remember Bungie broke off from Microsoft, then they went and signed with Activision, then recently in the last, I think last year, is when they finally went independent once again, and uh, he had a couple of things that were interesting. So the first thing is, Bungie chose Activision over Microsoft not due to the money, but the IP ownership. So basically he went into the fact that uh, when they were negotiating with Microsoft and Activision, the money wasn't the question, they were both offering relatively the same money. But the difference was is that Activision was going to give them wholly, like, the freedom over the IP and the ownership over the IP, but Microsoft wasn't, right? Um, so that was the interesting hang-up there. But then he followed it up by saying that the way it worked once they signed is that though Activision didn't have ownership over the IP, the way Activision worked it out is to try to get the approval of all of the execs on Bungie's board. And pretty much all of the Bungie execs were like, yeah, we're down essentially with you guys like steering the boat on this. And he was one of the couple of Bungie execs that was kind of against that because it goes against the whole point of their deal in the first place. And he said that that's why he ended up getting, uh, he quit and he was let go from the company. Also, just to let you know, take this with a grain of salt. People are listening, not saying that he is jaded, but when in these type of situations, you know, it's his story versus something we haven't heard. So who knows what the truth is, but I thought that was interesting. The last thing is he gave this anecdote about a dinner they had with Activision. Uh, I'm just going to read it to you, Don, because I think it's crazy. So later in the interview, O'Donnell shares an anecdote about a dinner with Activision executives. And by the way, I'm reading this from the IGN article that was written up by uh, Jordan Alleman. So go check out the whole article if you want to see more. So later in the interview, O'Donnell shares an anecdote about a dinner with Activision executives before the partnership deal had been signed. During the dinner, O'Donnell says he was talking to the Activision CFO about saying, be nice to the goose, with Bungie being the goose laying golden eggs for Activision. According to O'Donnell, the CFO told him that he liked the analogy, but, quote, sometimes there's nothing like a good foie gras. 
the controversial food made by force feeding geese before slaughter. And Mar uh, O'Donnell replied, I get a chill even telling that story. The red flag went off like mad. So basically he was saying that he was talking to the Activision CEO and he was saying, hey, man, you got to be good to the goose that's giving you the golden egg, which is destiny. And then the CFO responded basically with an analogy of himself saying like, well, we're going to force feed whatever we, we need to do to make sure this game is good. And we don't really care about the health of the goose at the end of the day. You know what I mean? Get the product out. Um, what do you think about that whole anecdote with that dinner party? Do you think a red flag was uh, the appropriate thought from O'Donnell? That's that's bad. Yeah, that's that's a weird thing to say especially because that's like the the old cliche of like oh you're gonna milk the cow dry right and see all the <laughs> cartoons and memes about like you know some company literally milking a, a cow that's so skinny it can barely stand but then this is like i'm actually saying yes we're literally going to do that with in, in, in a more like you know brutal kind of analogy even <laughs> That's weird. This is, that's uncomfortable. Uh, it is uncomfortable. And for him yeah. to have that like off the cuff of like hearing the goose thing, and he's like, what's a, just such a weird, like super villain line. <laughs> so yeah. Weird. It sounds like, yeah, like something out of a movie that like, is just so, who talks like that? I don't know. That, that's weird. It is weird. Uh, so yeah, it's a very interesting interview that he gave. And uh, he goes on to talk about how, and this makes sense in terms of the world of businesses, a lot of people at Bungie still treat it as a political decision to act as if the relationship was always good with Activision, but behind the scenes there was actually quite a lot of turmoil and arguments and discussions with the parent publisher about the whole deal in general. Obviously, who knows how much of that is true, how little of that is true, but the fact that Bungie pulled away from Activision means that it wasn't always clear skies with them, so something was going on, but... Yeah, I saw that dinner anecdote, and I was like, "This." if I was in that meeting, I'd be like, yikes, like, that's a huge red flag. It's like a yeah. siren. To be so open about it, too, is, I don't know, that's weird. To me, it typically, it, it sounds like, you know, an executive hearing, be good to the goose, and getting that prideful thing of, like, you know, well, yeah, you you know, you're made to be the golden goose, but it doesn't mean that we're not the reason why you're able to produce that stuff, you know what I mean, like an entitlement kind of thing. Uh, that's what it read like to me, but yeah, it's so weird. Um, it's so weird. Uh, next up, uh, a game that me and you are cautiously optimistic for, uh, finally got a release date. Little Hope, which is the second game in Supermassive's Dark Picture Anthology, um, following Manama Dawn, which was met with a lot of, I wouldn't even say mixed reception, it was like mixed negative reception. I know you were pretty much disappointed by the game. Um, but this follow-up, is going to be released on October 30th, so right in time for Halloween of this year, 2020. I think it's an awesome release date. It's smart. We always talk about, uh, I think Luigi's Mansion came out on Halloween last year, right? Yeah. These mm. horror and spooky type of games need to hit those release dates, right? And I think they can see a lot of sales success. With Little Hope, Dom, I have I didn't play Man of Madonna. I avoided it because of your impressions and a lot of other people's impressions. Do you think that Little Hope can maybe win you over? Because I know we are both huge fans of Until Dawn and Supermassive. Like, what do you expect out of this game? Are you looking forward to it? Are you waiting for reviews based on the first one? Yeah, it's definitely a more cautious wait-and-see kind of approach. I mean, this is still very much a genre I love and the type of game I love. Um, but yeah, Man of Madonna was just... It was so bad, I just had... Very disappointing. So, like, I haven't even watched this newest trailer. I saw that the, the release date was announced, but I didn't even watch this newest trailer because I'm just kind of like... <clears throat> I don't know. They're going to, you know, now I really need to be more sold on it because it's, uh, I don't have high hopes, so we'll see. Yeah, it strings me as like, 
how weird everything works out because the difference between these games and, and Until Dawn is obviously, A, they're working with a first-party publishing partner in Sony, and these are shorter development cycles, right? And you can see that they don't really necessarily have the polish or level of quality as Until Dawn. Um, I think Supermassive would be a really dope company to not even, they don't even need to get acquired by Microsoft, maybe partner with them and have these things come out on Game Pass because I do think they're going to possibly reach the level where the games don't look or play good enough for people to go and go out and buy them, right, outright. But if you have them on a service like Game Pass, maybe they'll jump into it, you know? Um, I don't know. They're in a weird spot. I think this game could be make or break for not the company necessarily, but this whole anthology and how they're going about it. Um, if this game doesn't sell well or, or review well, I think they might go back to you know, the table and figure out their plan moving forward because I don't know if they can afford to have two critical commercial flops back-to-back, -back, right? Yeah, I think, I, to me, this is, uh, and I'm most skeptical because this is not that long after Man of Madon, right? What has it been, a year and a half? Something yeah, but like we that. knew we knew from the beginning the way they approached development for this is they have multiple teams, right, and they're kind of working, okay, like, in, overlapping, essentially. It's, I don't know how that stuff works, but it still has me, like, question. Like, I don't know. It just seems yeah. like a lot to ask of you know, the devs <clears throat> altogether to just pump out another one of these games when, you know, I don't know. Which, how I, much I, they I can pivot, it. right, based on the feedback for Man and Madon, and maybe right. it is until the third game where we see the actual improvements to the formula. Who knows? Um, and, and part of it, too, was, like, a strategic choice they made with Man and Madon to make it more focused on multiplayer than yep. you know single player like until dawn was um especially like online multiplayer like that was a big component of man of Madon that went entirely over my head because that's not something i'm gonna do but um and that i think the the narrative and the story and the whole structure of the game kind of was based around that and i didn't like any of that so um, <laughs> in addition it was kind of a buggy mess too so like hopefully I, that's like the one thing i can hope for i have zero faith that this one won't also be a buggy mess, but that's to me like forgivable still. Um, if they if the structure is more you know catered towards a single player experience, um, yeah, yeah, it's it's gonna be interesting. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't Little Hope get teased the like the day or a couple of days after Man of Madon came out? Right, I think they announced it like right afterwards. I think it was like actually in the credits. Of Man of Madon, there was a okay. something like that. Yeah. That makes sense. So we're assuming we'll see the same for this. Probably the, the tease for the third game. Um, yeah, I'm I'm interested in it. I was very interested in Man of Madon, but then once I heard all the feedback, I was like, yikes, uh, I'll pass. Um, so hopefully, maybe this one gets really good reviews and turns it around. But if I'm being completely honest, Dom, I think it is the third game where I expect to see what direction they go with it because that's the one that I'll have enough time to pivot in one of two directions, you know? Either stay the course with what they're planning or completely divert and try something new. And maybe, who knows, we could see a longer development time for the third game as they realize this shorter time frame between them isn't working, right? And that one gets, quote-unquote, delayed without us knowing because we don't know the release date for the third one. Right. But it gets pushed back on top of COVID and everything. Who knows? Mm -hmm. Which might be a blessing in disguise for them. We'll see. Uh, next up, PlayStation News Roundups. There's a couple of PlayStation-related news stories I wanted to get to. One of them comes directly from PlayStation, and the other one comes from Gamatsu. So the first one, out of nowhere, seemingly, 
Uh, PlayStation revealed the first look at the box art for the PlayStation 5. The cover is for the upcoming Marvel Spider-Man Miles Morales and has some interesting design uh, design decisions. Talk about a tongue twister. Jesus. So I want to talk about this because it it seems like quite a bit with design aesthetic stuff. We don't necessarily disagree all the time, but we find ourselves more often than not being on opposite sides of it. Like for the PS5, right? I really disliked it. I think you were on the side of you enjoyed the design of it and honestly actually on that one like the controller i think looks great but then the console i'm still kind of like especially that initial angled front view they showed like when you know that first reveal i was kind of like whoa that's interesting um when i saw it like horizontal you know sitting how i how i assume i'll have it sitting it's like okay this looks better you know i'm still not like totally like digging the design of the console but it's all right you know it'll grow on me I'm it'll sure. i think it'll be the first console where you have to have a stand either way right i can't remember yeah, another console you have to have a stand for a horizontal right must have some exhaust or some uh, input fans or whatever on all sides of it or what well i think it's that because it's curved the way it is i think if you're oh, laid on right. side without the stand i think the, f- the like the collar fan the white part would maybe like bend in and cut off the circulation of the fan through the top you know what i mean mm-hmm. so i think it needs the stand for the center of gravity so it doesn't like mush on itself with gravity um anyways back to this uh, box art so we've already known the xbox box art for the xbox series x which is essentially the same design scheme except it has a bar at the top that'll have the different xboxes and the family of xboxes it'll play on right so the one i think we saw was cyberpunk maybe where it said xbox one xbox series x and there's more blank space when we assume it's for the series s or lock car or whatever uh for this one it's interesting because they made a couple of additions to this and then they've removed something that's kind of interesting so first up the top of it uh, on the, where it says ps5 now is white with a black lettering which I think would be fine if, and me and you are probably going to agree on this because I think I saw your comment, if they change the plastic color. So the plastic is still blue. Mm-hmm. And then so the top uh, header on the console box art is white with the black lettering and just kind of looks messy. And then the other addition they added was the new PlayStation Studios logo, which is right next to the Insomniac logo. But they removed the only on PlayStation from this. And obviously that doesn't mean this game is not is coming to somewhere other than PlayStation. But in terms of branding, I think it's maybe that they assume people will see that PlayStation Studios logo and assume that means it's exclusive. And in my opinion, consumers are kind of dumb. And not that they will buy an Xbox thinking this they'll get this, but I do think they lose something removing that only on PlayStation. I don't know. That's just my opinion. But I'm with you. I think they should have either changed the plastic or kept the top header blue in some regard. But what do you got to say, Dom? Yeah, because I, I thought the same thing. Like, oh, I would have been... I like the white and the black, um, yeah. uh, the top bar and the PS5 text. Like, I think that looks great. But then on top of the blue uh, gem case is, is like, uh, I don't know. And I get like, that's, they're trying to match the aesthetic of the console and the controller. So I, you know, I, it makes sense. I just, I'm not that into it. It would have been cooler if that case was black and then it would look, um, cause in my head I'm thinking, oh, like regular Blu-ray, like movie cases or whatever have always been blue and now uh, 4k blu-ray cases are black to kind of additionally indicate this is a 4k blu-ray and i thought oh, yeah. that would be cool if they like let leaned into that a little bit like okay because now these are actually 4k blu-rays that actually i don't know if that's true like will ps5 games be on a 4k blu-ray disc i don't even know i assume 
I don't know. Anyway, because it can hold more data than a regular Blu-ray. Anyway, yeah. they leaned into that kind of 4K branding and had the black case, and it would look cooler with the white. But they wanted to match the console. It's still exciting to see it. Like, oh, that's what, you know, um, PS, you know next gen is coming around. It's exciting to see the new cases. But I was kind of like, eh, I'm, I'm not crazy about the design. What I will say is the actual cover for Spider-Man and Miles Morales, regardless of the PlayStation stuff around it, looks super clean. Mm, uh, okay. I think it looks super good. <laughs> Because remember, we had the same conversation back when uh, Spider-Man PS4 came out. But they did that similar thing of it's just uh, a picture of Spider-Man doing something cool, but then the background was just a solid color. or you know, yeah. It wasn't like New York City in the background. And it's the same thing with Miles Morales, where it's just like some coloring behind him and not, not the city, um, which I would have preferred some setting around him. But <laughs> it's, still, it's still a cool thing. You can see his, uh, uh, and I don't even know much about it, but his arm has the uh, like electricity starting to flow through it, so that's kind of cool to indicate like yeah. that that power. Yeah, and I, his suit looks so clean too. Um, yeah, he does. Yeah, uh, very excited for this game. It is interesting though the lack of only on PlayStation. Obviously, just a branding decision, but it is weird to me. I, I think they're they're it just I don't know how to describe it. Like them having the white with the blue. I'm not saying it looks cheap because by no means it looks cheap, but it does look less cohesive, right? Um, and then the PlayStation Studios logo is dope, but I'm just so used to, I guess, seeing only on PlayStation. Um, and maybe they found that, that that messaging doesn't really, isn't worth it or doesn't apply well or something. Um, the, the other thing people are reading into is they kind of want to avoid the future proofing of it. And since a lot of their first party games are coming to PC anyways, not day and date like Xbox, obviously, but years down the line, that maybe the PlayStation Studios thing indicates, well, yeah, you can only play this on a PlayStation console, but they don't want to put the only on PlayStation because then it's eventually going to come to PC. You know what I mean? Yeah, I I thought about that too. And I'm not really convinced of that because even like when it's printed and when it's out there, it's true, right? So I don't think they're worried necessarily. I, I think it's weird because you would... I can only imagine like wanting to reinforce just like they do with marketing deals on third party stuff that isn't exclusive that like, you know, like, like Xbox had done console exclusive and like coming first too. like they see like every company always tries to do that. So it's, I'm curious the reasoning behind taking that branding off. And also this is, this is confirmation of first box art from them, but I don't believe the tweet says final box art. So Hmm. they could slap on something in that blank space there in the top right on the header that says only on PlayStation as well. You know what I mean? Who knows? Um, But as it sits, this is our first look at it, which is pretty cool. Uh, And the other bit of news is that, uh, so the other story revolves around PlayStation's parent company, Sony, and their new investment. This is via Sal Romano of Gamatsu. He writes, Sony Corporation has made a strategic investment of $250 million to acquire minority interest in Epic Games through a wholly owned subsidiary of Sony, the company's announced. He goes on to write a little bit more about this. If you want to check out his story, definitely head over to Gamatsu. But the point I wanted to talk about, the interesting thing to me isn't that they made the investment because we've seen the partnership with Sony and Epic Games. I want to know from you, and this goes back to the conversation we just had in terms of their games eventually coming to PC. Do you think that we're, we could possibly live in a, a, in a world where two years from now, say Spider-Man comes to PC, and I'm just pulling a game out of the hat, right? doesn't matter about the game specifically. But the next first party playstation game that comes to pc do you think there's a world we live in where it's exclusive to epic game store at launch and then then comes to steam you know what i mean because of this oh. investment i didn't even think of that yeah. um, <laughs> shoot yeah i mean my, like tons of other games have already done that that aren't you know big investors in epic so exactly 
Yeah, that that makes a heck of a lot of sense. I hadn't thought of that. Um, but I don't know because we just saw like Horizon Zero Dawn is like you know the top selling game on Steam or something like that for pre-orders. I don't think it's actually come out yet. But so yeah, is it worth the sacrifice that you know in Steam dollars? But Steam wants a higher percentage of the the revenue. So I, yeah, but I could see that future where we get some epic game store Sony exclusive <laughs> games. And I guarantee you, with them being a minor investor in it, right, I guarantee you that they'd probably work out a deal where PlayStation gets all of the profit from their game landing on the Epic Game Store. I always assume shit like that happens um, Yeah. in general, too, right? Because Epic, we we talked about their hierarchy. Like, they already exist where it's easier for smaller studios. Uh, Like, it's like up to the first million or two million dollars don't have to pay anything. A million, yeah. Yeah. um, And then, obviously, as it goes up, it changes or something. But I always assume that, like, for certain publishers, there's like certain devs, like there's some unique deals that are specific to them, right? That, that wouldn't surprise me either for Sony. Yeah. And I just think it's a smart business move. I don't think anybody should read into like, oh, that means Xbox games won't use the Unreal Engine or some dumb crap like that. Because no, obviously of a bunch not. of the Xbox studios <laughs> are using Unreal. And Epic yeah. is worth a whole lot of money. And like you read from the Sting, PlayStation spent $250 million to acquire a minority, a minority interest in the company. You know what I mean? They spent that much for a minority, a quarter of a billion dollars. So, well, smart yeah, move by Sony. To be a majority, I guess it depends on how many other, you know, big investors. Owners, we would. Yeah. Anyways, interesting stuff. I thought when I saw that, I was like, oh, the Epic Game Store angle is weird here. Like, how is that going to work out? And we'll see. I can't wait for the headline that day when gamers not only are mad that their PlayStation exclusives are coming to PC, but then they're mad that they have to download a separate application to get that game. If uh, you ever, um, if you ever having a bad day, or not sure that you're a good person, or you're not feeling good, <laughs> just go find that that video of that dude that literally like hammers his PS4 to death after finding out that Horizon Zero Dawn was going to PC. It doesn't affect him in any way, absolutely. But he just three years so after mad. its release, so good. Yeah, three years after its release, at a discounted price, he just had to destroy his PS4 publicly, and wow. And an interesting point I wanted to bring up, and we'll eventually talk about it another show when we need to fill time. But uh, on a, this Twitter account posted, I guess on Steam you can see all the different levels of GPUs that access games on Steam, right? So you can see like how like the percentage of how many people are using this level of GPU? How many people are using this level of GPU? And it turns out that the the GPU standard and up from where the next-gen consoles will be, the number of people on Steam that are using that are 15% of the Steam community, right? And I think that's so interesting because we often talk about, like, well, why would anybody own an Xbox when they can own a PC and get the games there? And I do think that we They're not. Often, <laughs> oftentimes, yeah, oftentimes assume that they correlate to one another, but... In order to build a PC that's going to be at the same level as these consoles takes a whole lot more investment. And from what we're seeing from that number is only 15% are utilizing that powerful of a PC. So it isn't as easy of a statement as, well, all of the people are just going to play the PC ports of the Xbox games. You know, I just thought it was an interesting anecdote yeah. about that. No, that's a good point, because especially when consoles are new, right? Like, it's going to be cheaper yep. um, to, to have the console instead of the PC. I'm sure if, if you looked at it like, the same comparison of uh, PCs now that are compared to Xbox One, PS4, and then it might be more like at least 50 or 60% of Oh, for powerful, sure. Something yeah. like that. 
But I bet it's still a smaller number than we might think, right? Yeah, it's not like the majority of PC players aren't like, you know, way ahead of consoles that it's, you know, as as you might assume they are by the way they talk. And on top of that, you'd also have to introduce, well, how many of those 60% of people who own a PC that's as powerful as those also own those consoles as well? You know what I mean? Because those, we just know right. that they use those GPUs to play on Steam. We don't know if they play other things. So I just thought it was interesting yeah. numbers based on those conversations people have about that stuff. Um, yeah, the, I think everyone assumes the PC gaming space is filled with all these people with elite PCs, you know what I mean? And it's not necessarily the case. Um, yeah. I, I don't know if you were going to add something. Sorry. Uh, I guess it just makes me think about, like, because that makes sense that they have that data. So, like, when you're the developer, it's like, yeah, you might... I mean, you're going to always kind of like spend the most time catering to the lowest or the, you know, where the largest group is. Right. So the not only all of that we, that we just talked about, but those people that do that, that 15 percent that do have those beastly PCs, like they're not getting the support from the devs that they, you know, they're not getting the most out of their hardware, really, as far as the devs are concerned, because the devs are got to make sure their game works on like, you know, where the biggest chunk of those PCs are that exist. Right. It's weird, though, because some companies don't necessarily do it. Like Remedy, for instance, seems like they developed for the Xbox Series X and PS4 Pro and PC in mind because if you try to play those games like on the base Xbox or PS4, it ran like hot garbage. I mean, it didn't run necessarily perfect on the newer systems, but they seem like a studio that did the opposite where it's like they were they were developing for the highest end and then trying right. to make it work for lesser That's power. why Next Gen is cool because like we finally like, get a jump where it's finally like going to become more uh, financially incentivized to like use newer technology when you're building stuff. Yeah. And just the load times alone and the, the SSDs, man, like it's impressive to me how, how quickly you can get back into last of us part two after dying. And that's on PS4. You know what I mean? I thought the same thing. It's pretty quick. <laughs> yeah. And I'll, let me preface too. We're talking about naughty dog who has arguably the most experience developing on that hardware. So if anybody's going to get the most out of it, it's going to be them. So, um, yeah, because they're they used to be bad at it. Uh, yeah, Last of Us One, like that loaded forever, dude. And um, but then the other thing too was um, comparing if you had a PC or a PS4, Xbox, and you just plugged a SSD in there, like right today, uh, compared to like what we've seen so far from the next gen boxes and their SSDs, it's like night and day. Like it's still uh, having it in the new console and having games like you know design around the ssd apparently makes a big difference in uh what they're actually able to do with it so that's back to the whole like the expensive pcs aren't getting the most out of what they're paying for argument yeah and i mean honestly i think a lot of gamers would be happy just with the ssd improvements on top of that we're getting better gpu cpu all of that stuff on the back end as well um and the ssd alone is going to make such a difference Uh, let's get into this xbox news and some rumor stuff a lot of different stories coming out about Xbox this week. Not surprising they're leading up to their event. Speaking of, the Xbox Game Showcase, which we've been wondering, is it taking place at the beginning of July, the end of July? We have a date. They tweeted out it's going to be taking place July 23rd at 9 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. A lot of outlets made a point to say that this is a very European-friendly time, which is smart for Xbox because they lost a lot of ground with the European division over this generation um, because they had a pretty strong stranglehold of 360, but over the course of this last generation, they kind of lost that to PlayStation, especially with Jim Ryan getting in charge and him leading the European division of Sony. Um, so they were just saying it makes sense that they'd have something that was friendly to European times. 
um, which is good. At least they didn't pull a Nintendo and go like at 6 a.m. Because, Jesus, those start times for Nintendo stuff. Uh, next up, we had an update about xCloud. Uh, we don't have a release date, unfortunately, but we found out that developers are using Project xCloud to remotely access Xbox dev kits. And this is something we never talked about with xCloud and its possibilities, but the fact of with COVID-19 and everything happening, that Microsoft can allow these developers, third party and first party have been noted to use it, use xCloud to remotely access these dev kits that are very... Um, high value right to these companies they don't want to lose these dev kits especially before these pieces of hardware go out to the public uh what do you think about this is this really neat i I never thought about this as a possibility for xcloud you know as a service yeah it makes sense um i don't totally get i mean like why not just ship them the actual dev kit i mean it, it could leak or whatever i guess right but so is this like oh they can get to it early with less risk of the dev kit being exposed or something like well normally dev kits don't go out to individual developers right they go to a studio and then they work there at the place but because everybody still work from home okay microsoft's not going to trust these individuals especially at third-party oh, okay. companies I see. you know what people's I mean? houses basically instead of the actual so th office yeah so think of it as the xbox dev kits aren't necessarily getting accessed from microsoft to the studios it could be from the studio to the employee right they could already mm -hmm. have the dev kits they just can't go in and access them so xCloud yeah. might allow them to access it that way. Yeah, that okay, that makes more sense then. That would be an advantage. But yeah, this is a pretty neat application of uh, streaming and stuff. So that's, yeah, that's pretty cool. Good workaround, right? We're seeing a yeah. lot of creative workarounds given the current working situation. So good on them. Yeah, because that was, uh, it was Cyberpunk. Everyone who they had previewed the game apparently streamed it. NVIDIA, uh -huh. through NVIDIA's streaming service, yeah. Yeah, which is risky because like your previews are going to be potentially tainted by you know someone's you know poor internet it might not be your fault you know um but that, so that's pretty cool that the service worked well enough for them to be confident to do that cd um, project red yeah. did have them take internet tests though to make sure they had enough bandwidth to do the previews by the way yeah yeah i know and that shit i've taken plenty of those tests too and then sometimes when you turn <laughs> yeah, it on and like, exactly you're like what happened you just told me it was good enough playstation now and yet it's all stuttery x cloud like i don't know it's something yeah. just yeah uh Interesting, though, and really cool workaround. Uh, next up, we've been wondering about, you know, Phil Spencer and company, they've bought quite a lot of studios these last couple of years, I believe nine in total, the last two or three years. And people are wondering, well, are they done investing? What's going to happen? We've heard from Matt Booty that they're focusing on the studios they've already acquired. But, and I'm going to get into a couple of these games industry biz articles uh, later on. But in one of them, Phil Spencer had a quote, and I wanted to read it about them acquiring more developers and studios, Okay. So, quote, this is from Phil Spencer. The first priority was making sure the studios had the things that they needed to build the best versions of their games. That means extending some of the timelines and giving them more budgets. We have really strong support from Satya Nadella, the CEO of Microsoft, and Amy Hood, the CFO. And there's been no signal at all that we should be slowing down. But just to go at a pace that is maintainable for us as a leadership team, we're always out there talking to people, but it has to be the right opportunity. So he's basically saying we have the support of two of the most influential people at Microsoft and they told us don't slow down. Basically, they didn't give us the stop sign, right? Like, no, you already acquired enough companies. See what they do. They're like, if you see the right opportunity, do it. Just make sure you're not out here snagging everybody for the sake of snagging them. And this was interesting because in addition to this uh, quote, we had some information come out in regards to WB Games, Dom. So according to the information, which is a website, and then it was corroborated by a lot of other outlets, 
Uh, Microsoft is interested in acquiring the, co the collection of talented developers from WB Games. Obviously, they're on sale right now from AT&T and Warner Brothers. So I wanted to pair these two together, Don, because we're hearing Phil Spencer say that it's a right, if it's the right opportunity, we're going to pull the trigger. Uh, and we now know that Microsoft is interested, which we talked about when the story eventually came out, that Microsoft should get them out of Take-Two and Activision and all these people. Microsoft seems like the, not only the one that would need them most, right, with especially with like Rocksteady and the high-quality games they make, but they also are in a financial position to get them. And thirdly, they seem like the place where the moment they're purchased, half of them won't be shut down, or at least we would assume. You never know with company mergers. What do you think about this with Phil Spencer's comments and then these reports that Microsoft's interested I actually, to be honest, it, it almost feels like it could go either way because um, we initially heard, oh, Microsoft is interested in uh, buying WB, right? And um, and then after that, how much time was, was Phil's quote, right? So it almost is kind of like a kind of trying to temper people's expectations a little bit of just being like, yeah, like it would be great and we're always looking, but, you know, it's more complicated than that. And if it's going to work out great, then we'll do it. But if not... Right. So like that, this would be a complicated deal, right? Expensive. And then you get into like, well, does it include the IP and, and that kind of stuff? Cause it's multiple studios and, and so on. So like, no matter what, like this would be, this is an extremely expensive, complicated ordeal. Um, For anybody like who buys a, them, not just Microsoft. Oh, yeah, of course, <laughs> yeah. anybody. This is a, this is a big, big thing. Um, so I think this is like a really well-worded um, piece of fucking language from Phil. Frankly, yeah. Like, being both like optimistic and realistic i don't know it just sounds great like it doesn't basically say like nope no chance stop yada yada but he also doesn't like get everyone's super excited about it and you know but and he also doesn't just stay quiet it's kind of acknowledging it feels like the timing um is you know it can't be a fully co a full coincidence right yeah um, for sure i mean maybe they i don't know when the interview was or whatever, like the context of the question that was asked to him. But, um, cause sometimes there's that too, where it's like when people are asked questions that they might not have talked about otherwise. And like, you just like, well, I was just answering the question and it has nothing to do with other things in the world. But, um, no, I think, uh, it could happen. I think, I mean, this is probably a little bit farther, you know, more of a hint in the direction of like, maybe Microsoft does this. And then I'm partly, um, maybe bias right there because I'm really, I got someone mentioned the possibility of like, imagine like an Xbox exclusive Batman game to kind of mirror the PlayStation exclusive Spider-Man game. Like that would be pretty dope. Like that sounds cool. Um, yeah. That's a stretch still at this point, but it's possible for sure. So I'm kind of excited about that possibility. And two of the neat ideas I heard too are TT games who make all the Lego games. Who knows if that license thing will happen, but they're very familiar with making family-friendly games, and I would love if they announced either a Banjo-Kazooie or a Viva Pinata game made by TT Games if they acquired them, because I think they're the perfect studio to handle that stuff. Um, somebody made a joke that you just replace all of the Lego pieces with Jiggies and you have yourself a Banjo-Kazooie game already with the Lego there games. So, yeah, um, I'm very interested. Like I said, uh, I want Microsoft out of all these places to acquire them. I think I at least want uh, Take-Two or Activision especially with the way they've been working lately. Um, obviously, EA earned the reputation they have, but I think Activision and Take-Two are working night and day to make sure they bypass that uh, with some of the stuff they're doing. So 
I, I just want those studios to land in a good place. And with Microsoft, a lot of the studios they've acquired, and you might disagree with me on this, Don, but like, so the Obsidian, we know how good they are with Fallout New Vegas and even Outer Worlds was great, right? I mean, it was solid. I, I don't know if I'd say it was great. It was good to great, yeah. It was good for what it was, right? Yeah. Budget title, yada, yada. I don't know if they're at a place yet where we'd call them a prestige studio. Obviously, a lot of the other studios they bought are smaller. Um, outside like Ninja Theory, right? I don't know if any of them you'd call them prestige studios initiative. We don't even know what they're working on. If they acquire WB Games, Rocksteady immediately, they're a prestige studio with their with their work, right? And it, it, it bolsters Xbox's lineup with an established developer like that. And we had this discussion about what's the value in this, even if you don't get the IP. And a lot of people have been discussing that. It takes a lot of resources and effort and management to build a team. Like, look how long it's taken them to build the initiative. If you're able to acquire or you develop studios, it takes away a lot of that hassle. Not saying there's a ton of hassle already with, like, HR and bringing them in and putting them on payroll and all that stuff. But acquiring and having that team work together and everything gel is hard to put together. And if you can acquire already developed studios, uh, I think a lot of companies would take that over trying to form their own, right? So. Yeah, definitely. And, and the experience, too, right, of, like, how much yep. – what have you shipped? And, like, there, I think that goes a long way, right? Like, look at, uh, like, the Sony Studios who, like, you know, it, uh, Jordan's going to hate me for this. But, like, Naughty Dog, right? Like, you know, Jack and Daxter, those are games. Those are fine games. Um, but then, like, you know, Uncharted, the first ones are good. Then they started get getting really, really good. And now we have The Last of Us, which, you know, was good. And now the second one's even better, I'd say. Like, you can kind of see... I feel like you could find a lot of studios where that's an example of that, where, like, this shit they've shipped has just gotten better and better over time. So, yeah, obviously, like, you want to get that from the beginning and uh, plant a seed and have it, but that takes a long time. Probably with, like, we'll see with the initiative, right? And so it's just as good, or it's, you know different to yeah buy someone who's a little more established and like you said rock city very established and have shipped a lot of like really critically and financially successful games so yeah that's a huge get even if it can't be a batman game to go with it and i think the other part of this that we haven't really talked about is we've heard wb montreal and rock city have had some projects uh canceled right um a lot of reports between superman and suicide squad and other batman games with damian wayne and I wonder if a lot of that turmoil was because we're seeing AT&T not wanting or seeing the value in WB games. And I wonder if maybe they were canceling these projects saying, well, ah, that's not going to return enough revenue. Oh, we're not seeing how this is going to line up, you know. And I wonder from a developer's perspective, like Montreal and Rocksteady, maybe they're hoping they get bought because they just maybe are tired with the leadership structure and executive structure there of like not even being able to get their creative ideas off the ground floor, you know. Um, maybe the change of scenery for them will do them a lot of good too because it is odd how they were on a roll with WB games, especially the Batman stuff, and then it kind of all halted out of nowhere, right? And we've been wondering, like, where's WB Montreal's next game? Where's Rocksteady's next game? Like, they've just been so quiet, and maybe it is that they've kind of been between a rock and a hard place with hearing from WB themselves and AT&T of like, yeah, we don't know if we even want to continue with this or not, you know? Yeah, or like some combination of like that with, you know, there's been problems with the games themselves and they've yeah. had to restart projects, you know, only to their own fault. And so now it's been so long and, and AT&T's like, okay, like trying to poke them with a stick, like do something, trying to be like, you know, fattening their goose, but the goose won't. <laughs> eat, right? Making foie gras, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, so it's very interesting. 
this was probably the biggest news story this year. I mean, I'm not talking about like specifically focusing on video games and not the power structures and assaults and all the actual terrible stuff that's happening in the video game industry. But like literal actual video game stuff, I think this is the biggest story of the year, I'd assume, so far in terms of AT&T coming in and Norton's being like, yeah, we're selling WB games, right? I can't think of another video if game it, specific news story. Well, it just being announced that they're looking for a, a, a buyer, I think, is big news, right? Because yeah. for especially with us not knowing what's happening with Batman games in general and the weird teases and stuff and so odd. Uh, but that quote from Phil Spencer was pulled from GameIndustry.biz. They had two really cool articles that will be linked in, down in the description if you're watching on YouTube uh, regarding both the uh, appreciation for the creative freedom from the studios they bought as well as how Microsoft learned to do exactly that from the purchase of Mojang. Basically, like, we bought them. We were like, yo, we're not going to touch what you're doing. Just keep doing what you're doing. And they've seen success with that, right? So they've continued that. And from those GamesIndustry.biz articles, on top of the quote I just shared with Phil, I have two more quotes, one from Phil Spencer and one from Tim Schafer, obviously head of Double Fine. So Phil Spencer says, I'm a fan of Xbox, obviously, but I don't mind going to, quote, are we the shooter box, unquote. Is it, quote, Gears, Halo, Forza, Gears, Halo, Forza. I know all the memes about us. And he goes on to talk about that of like, we need diversity in our portfolio. I get the memes. I get the stuff. And that's just... It's Phil being charismatic and relatable, like, yo, I read the memes about you guys talking shit about us. Like, I get it. Like, are we the Halo Forza Gears box? So, uh, and there was in, that was in addition to the thing about them acquiring more studios, right? Or like, we need to have diversity. We want to be able to have games anybody can play, yada, yada, yada. And then Tim Schafer was interviewed, and he wanted to talk about creative freedom, specifically being a part of Xbox, right? And he said, because of Game Pass, I can see where we fit in. It does make me think about some of the crazy game ideas we've had, and some of them you're just like, I can never pitch this to any publisher. I would never get this signed. But I am now opening up that folder of documents again and going, oh, I really love this idea. I bet we could do that now. And on top of that, he talked about how they make a lot of quality, family-friendly games. You don't see a whole lot of that right now in the industry. And then he went on to talk about how Game Pass is an avenue where they don't need to make 10 to 15-hour games. They can make a four-hour game and put it out. We've seen two recent examples with uh man i'm forgetting the name but what's the multiplayer one that ninja theory put out to die essentially bleeding edge yeah and that seems like a passion project from one of the creative developers it was already in motion they put it out on the platform it didn't do too well but we didn't see any repercussions from that and it seemed like it was i think it was one of those things where xbox is like we'll give you this one like go ahead and put it out yada 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 right and we're seeing that now with Grounded, the Honey, I Shrunk the Kids multiplayer survival game from Obsidian. Um, and I do think with Game Pass, they're allowed to have these multiple teams that are working on stuff. Obviously, Microsoft wants like the tentpole marketed stuff. They're also allowing them to do these smaller projects. And I think Tim Schafer is seeing a lot of happiness because, like he said, he can't go to a publisher with some of their wacky ideas because they'll never get sold. But because they're owned by Microsoft, he can be like, yo, we're going to put this game out on Game Pass you know what I mean? So I like the creative freedom. And like I said, there's another article talking specifically about how they learned from Mojang to be able to let their studios do that. And to me, this goes hand in hand with the WB Games thing of even if they don't get the... Obviously, I want a new Batman game from Rocksteady or a DC game because they're super talented at that. But they're so talented that if, if you tell me like, yo, Rocksteady is going to get acquired by Microsoft and Microsoft's like, what game do you guys want to make? We can't get the Batman license. I'd be really intrigued by that too. Um, I'd love to see an original IP from Rock City as well. 
And I think that Microsoft would give them the leeway for that. What do you think about this quote from Tim Schafer specifically, Dom? Yeah, it, it, it makes you feel good. I like the, the, the same thought of the, the creative freedom, like allowing developers to do some things that, you know, maybe weren't as possible um, when everything had such a strong focus on like, it needs to make money, it needs to make money now. And, and that's it. If it can't make money, then I don't even want to hear about it, right? Um, so yeah, it makes me feel better that like, they feel like they have a little bit more freedom and can pitch some different types of things that might normally not ever see the light of the day. So, um, I like the, I like the thought of that. And then, yeah, having game pass on top of, uh, like kind of aiding in that too is, it's pretty cool. Cause that, I mean, there's kind of like using that Netflix model of like, well, now there's a whole kind of like, you know, sub genre of like more independent, uh, type titles that are being exposed to people that they would have never seen otherwise. Right. Um, even if they were made. So, yeah, I think I think it's cool. It's good to hear stuff like that. Yeah, he also had another thing where he talked about how before they got acquired by Microsoft, they, because of the time constraints and the budget constraints, they were pulling stuff out of Psychonauts too, like boss battles and a bunch of stuff because they just needed to make a date and they didn't have the budget to keep extending development. And then once they were acquired by Microsoft, they were able to put all that stuff back in and focus on it. And so in, in a way it made Psychonauts better, or at least a more complete game because they didn't have the constraints of having to worry about running out of budget. Right. So, um, there was another quote or not even a quote, a tweet that came from Jeff Grubb. And I thought this was interesting because here's the thing in the past, Phil Spencer's talked about how he's against timed exclusives and they're anti-consumer and he doesn't like them. Obviously they're playing from a, from a losing perspective. So he's going to go super anti-consumer. I totally get that. And I'm also of the opinion that I wouldn't be surprised if we do see third-party timed exclusives on Xbox Series X, right, at this July so showcase. But Jeff Grubb talked about how there's a possibility where Phil Spencer can stay true to his word but still do something that might even be more, I wouldn't say impressive, but useful with the money they'd spend. And he tweeted, Timed exclusive third-party console games are going to look silly if Microsoft begins... Uh, spending similar money to bring huge third-party releases to Game Pass on day one or soon after. It makes so much sense. Time exclusives didn't do much for Xbox One. Why would it? We spent money so only people who buy our hardware can buy this game. is actually weird, especially compared to we, we spent money so you can get this game as part of the sub you already have. An interesting thought here because there is an argument to be made that the money you'd spend on a timed exclusive, if you spend that money on it coming day and date to Game Pass you not only boost Game Pass, right? Because it's like, if Cyberpunk comes out day and date on Game Pass, that's huge. On top of the fact that it gives people another incentive to choose your box over the other box, right? Um, I think it's an interesting perspective, and I, it is a, a route Microsoft could take. My assumption would be a mix of both. Like, I think they're probably going to do the normal timed third-party exclusives, but I wouldn't doubt if they shell out some cash for some surprising games to come day and date on Game Pass, you know? Because they get the best of both worlds. They don't piss off gamers because the games are still coming to PlayStation the same day, but people who either own Xbox and subscribe to Game Pass or are interested in Xbox have incentive to play on that console, right? So it's kind of a win-win for them from marketing. Yeah, I think you got to kind of figure out the best balance, right? Um, yeah. I'm going to make another Netflix analogy where Netflix used to be, you know, mostly uh, not original content, right? And then eventually they started pivoting it into, okay, we're, we got some cash, like we got some investors or whatever, and, and apparently a lot of debt. But anyway, they started, you know, producing a shit ton of Netflix original stuff. Um, and then 
they're starting to let go of some of those big contracts that cost them and have like the office and friends and some of those giant shows that they were paying an arm and a leg to keep on there to try to sway people towards them trying to replace that with their own stuff now that they're kind of like it's a larger platform so like i don't know if that how that if that's like the smartest way to do it or not but i could see it being a similar thing with with game pass right like you know it's still in it's in, in this growing stage right and yeah maybe we gotta buy buy some exclusivity uh, even timed or permanently like maybe fund a game entirely or you know basically like this game only exists because microsoft paid to have it exclusive on game pass or the game game pass right otherwise it probably wouldn't have happened because no one else would have published it or something or something like that um and then like in the meantime they're building their own you know portfolio first party studios and eventually like they've already started like those games are you know first party games are right on game pass day and date so like as those start to pop in and assuming they're of high quality like then you probably don't have to rely upon like paying a shit ton of money i know a lot of people are speculating that like cyberpunk might come to game pass pretty early if not at launch which would be crazy, crazy by the way <laughs> yeah i don't think it's necessarily impossible but i just ooh, that'd be crazy uh you know i i wouldn't bet on it but uh, a similar thing so like maybe that's like something they got to do early on to continue to get game pass because it's growing a lot it's it's already huge i don't want to like sell it short but i think it's still in that growing stage it's still going to get a shit ton bigger um so and we're not even talking about the fact that uh the $70 price point of games possibly going up in price could play into this as well, where people are like, yeah. do I just spend the 10 extra bucks? If Xbox is getting this day and day, I can spend five bucks for game or, you know, 10 bucks mm-hmm. or whatever, or a dollar, depending on if it's a sale or not. And I can play this game as opposed to spending 10 extra dollars for this gen. It's going to be interesting. And I, I do agree with you that they're going to need to even it out. But the fact that Xbox already has back compat and all of their first party games come day and date means that there's already a built-in library of value. So if you get somebody in with Cyberpunk, chances are you're going to get them on a hook for all the other stuff in there, you know? And I do think that's a smart move in spending money for these big third-party games to come day and date because the way subscription services work is you get them in for that one title and hope they get hooked with everything else in there, right? And we've seen Game Pass as an excellent library. On top of the fact, the other thing we're not talking about is the time when xCloud gets integrated with this. And you're not even having, not only will you not have to spend as much money as you are on games, you're not even going to have to download them as much as you are. Because you're going to be able to stream them as well. So it's going to be a That's lot there. That's a good there. point on yeah. the $70 thing. Because like, that whole discussion is going on of like, would you pay for this? Or like, is it worth it? And like, there's this, that, NBA, whatever, whatever. And then Microsoft is kind of like the only ones right now who are like, we don't really give a shit charge $80 for games because we're charging 10 bucks a month guys. <laughs> so yeah. No matter what, they're coming out looking great. And that's a story we didn't get to this week either of uh, Microsoft is apparently approaching publisher and being like, Hey, we don't want you to charge uh, more for upgrades on our thing. They should be free. They're not necessarily mandating it. So it's like a half measure. Yeah. I wish they would actually mandate it. Oh um, really? I was going to say the opposite. <laughs> Yeah, I think it's a bold move to be like, yo, if you're going to publish on our platform, make sure that the upgrades are free. Yeah, see, I don't like it because I, I felt like it seemed like some of the headlines were misleading because it sounded like they were mandating it. And I don't think no. that's really the case, though. They're just encouraging or something. But yeah, <laughs> which is I think that's as far as I'd want them to go, because I'd want to give, you know, the developers, publishers the freedom because um, maybe not every you know developer can afford to do that and be like, well, then then I'm not going to make the upgraded version because like that's a lot of extra dev time potentially. And 
I would think that they should be in control of you know what they're charging for it, which in some cases they're going to be too greedy when you look at it, like as we kind of complained about with NBA 2K or whatever. But in a lot of cases, like I don't know, it's it's kind of a lot to ask. Uh, I think smaller so. Studios. It's a win for Microsoft if they mandated it. It'd be a loss for the developer side of it. You know what I mean? But then you think about it, it's like. I don't know. It's a very complicated issue. And I get your, I don't think there's necessarily a right answer. I think there's an argument to be made for either or. I'm not going to die on the hill for that. that Yeah. And to your point, I do think the quote unquote villains of this will expose themselves and they'll see the backlash for it as we're Mm -hmm. seeing with, with NBA 2K. Um, And I do think that like, just encouraging is enough because then you see where these companies lie in general. Um, but yeah, we'll see what happens there. I just thought Jeff Grubb brought up a good point about how Microsoft, because of Game Pass, might take a different approach because Sony is spending a lot of money for timed exclusives. Xbox has done so in the past too, but if they can reallocate that money to instead of doing timed exclusives, they come to Game Pass day and day. That might be an interesting path for them. We'll see what happens there. Uh, yeah, it's pretty much it for this week's news. Like I said at the beginning of the show, I really have zero to talk about in terms of what we've played. Maybe you do, Dom, but before we get to that, I actually wanted to... This podcast is going to be coming out right before Ubisoft's showcase happens on the 12th. And I had a couple of questions for you in terms of predictions we think for this thing, okay? So, first up, we've heard that Gus from uh, uh, Breaking Bad... What's his the actor's name? Giancarlo Esposito. Giancarlo Esposito, Yeah. Uh, he's playing a villain. We all assume it's Far Cry, okay? Because of this, I have a question for you. A lot of these are, like, they're guesses, but uh, it's it's me asking you a question. So you'll either be right or wrong. I have no incentive in this. It's just whatever. So my first question is, Far Cry 6, we already assume it's happening. It's, it's going to be revealed. Does Far Cry 6 take place in a South American country? Good question. Because they've said it's not in the U.S. again, I believe. Nope. Somewhere yep. more exotic. But we don't know which continent. So it's like South America, Africa, or Asia. Could be Probably Mexico, right? Because they didn't say they did they say North America or the United States. Good point. It might be Mexico. I guess I didn't think of that. Yeah. But South America. I'm gonna say. I'm trying to remember four, three was somewhere tropical. I don't remember exactly. Four, I think, was like Asia, Himalaya type. Yep. Setting. Um, with like pagan men, that guy, and then so I'd say yeah, South America. That's a good guess because they haven't hit that in a bit. I, mean, I don't remember where two or one were. So, but I was, I'll go yes, yeah, South America. Okay. Second question: Do we see more than five minutes of direct gameplay of Assassin's Creed Valhalla? Yeah. Okay. Uh, what's your reasoning for that? They have to, right? Is my assumption. <laughs> yeah, I only hesitated because. Five minutes is a long time. Uh, obviously, we'll see gameplay, but the five minutes is where I was like, I don't know. But Ubisoft, they seem like at their shows, they do a lot of extended gameplay. So I think, yeah. And, and that game's coming out soon. So like, I think definitely five, more than five minutes. Uh, do we see gods and monsters pop up again? Yes. Okay. So apparently I heard that Ubisoft was afraid people were going to say it was a Breath of the Wild ripoff. And then people saw it and were like, oh, this is awesome. This is a Breath of the Wild ripoff. So they kind of leaned into <laughs> it. That's yeah. an insult, right? Yeah. Uh, next up, does Watch Dogs Legion get a release date? No. I'll say it gets a release window of 2021 spring. 
Fuck it. <laughs> okay. Uh, does Rainbow Six Quarantine get a name change, or do we even see it? <laughs> Question. Uh, n- no, we don't see it. Okay. Uh, I don't but know. What about name change? If it were to show, do you think it's getting a name change? No, I no. Last next question: Should we believe in Splinter Cell? Fuck no, no. Get <laughs> out of here. Do we not? Uh, I don't know if this is the last question or not. Uh, do we not see Beyond Good and Evil two until next year? I don't know that we ever see that shit again, ever, any year. Man, don't so. say that. It's like one of my most anticipated <laughs> games. Uh, okay, uh, do we see UB art? No. Do we see Rayman? No. No. You just keep breaking my heart. Uh, I guess my last question, I guess I got two more. One, what the hell was the name of that pirate game that no one liked? and they Black Sails? No. Uh, no. Cross and Bones. Skull and Bones. Skull and Bones. So remember the creative director left that game. Does that game even exist anymore? No, that thing's done. And my last question. How many new games and or... Oh, I got two. I have one more after this. How many new games or new IP do we see? Hmm. Two new games that we don't know about. I think that's the best over-under. I think two would be the safest bet. I'm with you on that. Lastly, do we see uh, a new Nintendo collaboration? Could be a sequel to uh, Kingdom Battle, or it could be something else. I'm going to say no. It's totally possible, but not as hard of a no as some of my other pessimistic answers. Okay. Pretty good. Good good straight line of questions there. I'm interested to see what happens. Ubisoft is weird because for E3, they're often the ones that either have a really good show or like a blech show. Um most of the time it depends on how long just dance is on stage uh <laughs> anyways uh do you have anything you want to talk about in terms of what you've been playing outside of replaying last of us part two i have one more prediction for ubisoft actually i think you'll like okay um we giancarlo esposito is a part like there's no stage never mind this is a stupid prediction well no he could pop up in like a direct video feed right we've seen then, it on playstation then, yeah i think he'll give like you know outside of his character in far cry like he'll, he'll give a little interview something like i was happy to come out and work on far cry and it was a great team you know one of those things safe bet is he's like it's tough working from home at this point but we got it done yada 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 um like because yeah they, they they are really good at the celebrity stuff especially with john bernthal when john jordan bernthal. Ro- john, uh, jordan roasted you for that oh man uh <laughs> so anything else you wanted to mention in terms of what you've been playing or is it just last of us to replay uh, just Platinum. a ton of last of us yeah grinding for that plat uh, where are you at hype level for Ghost of Tsushima? I don't know. I'm I'm still like a wait and see, because like that state of play where they showed a lot of that game was was great. Like it looked excellent, but still it's you know what I mean I'm not. It's a new IP from a studio I've never really played a game from, so I'm kind of like just still waiting and seeing. I'm gonna reviews are going up early, um, like a week before the release or something like that. So plenty of time to consume a bunch of reviews and figure out you know, based on that. Cause I want to see more still. I'm, I'm leaning towards like, this looks sick and awesome, uh, but we'll see. So here's where I stand on it. I definitely want to play it, but my issue that I'm having is I think worst case scenario, it's going to play like an inferior Assassin's Creed game, right? Absolute worst mm-hmm. case scenario, which even then you can make an argument. It's still a fun time. 
best case scenario to me, and I could totally be being, being pessimistic, is that it's a really great Assassin's Creed game that makes it so when I get to Valhalla, I kind of don't want to have another experience like that in that short of a time frame. You know what I mean? Which isn't a knock against Ghost of Tsushima. It's kind of a knock against both of it and Valhalla maybe playing similarly. That's my worry because I'm really stoked to play as a Viking, but if I play through this game and it's a lot of the same gameplay loops and I really enjoy it, am I going to get burnt out and then not want to play Valhalla right away? You know what I mean? Which, like I said, not a knock against Ghost of Tsushima, just a worry personally for me. Yeah, no, that's worth bringing up. I've thought about that too. Like how similar are these really going to be? And will they kind of like step on each other and like your mind share, like one affect the other? But I'm not too worried because at the end of the day, it's like such different settings and like, moods i guess and yeah like, this like ghost is just looking super japanese right um and then this assassin's creed is just obviously all nordic and sh- viking and shit so um i think at least like, the, the setting is different enough or even if like a lot of the gameplay is similar um i think it's i think for me they'll be differentiated enough but you're right that's that's something to think about yeah it's gonna be interesting i'm this game is so curious to me because at worst, I could see it being like an 82, right? Like a low, low like mid 80s. A little better. So. Yeah. I don't know if it'd be because Days Gone was kind of roasted by critics a lot. Uh, I don't know if it'll be that bad, but I think it will get like a, yeah, Exactly. Hopefully not. Uh, at best, I think this is going to be a high 80s. I don't see this reaching 90s at all. Um, I think it's somewhere between 82 and 89, you know, at its bottom and top. It's going to be interesting to see where it lands. I hope it's not lower than 82 because, like you said, this studio, I wouldn't put them on the level of a lot of the other PlayStation studios. Um, And I know it's probably blasphemous to people out there, but I don't see them in the same regard. But maybe this game turns that around and it's a masterpiece. So who knows? Yeah, maybe this is the game that puts them into that, you know, conversation of Naughty Dog, Santa Monica, uh, etc. Yeah. Thank you guys for listening this week. If you can, please head over to YouTube, search Control Ventures, so pop right up. Subscribe, hit the bell notification so you don't miss our uploads. You can't trust YouTube sub boxes. Hit the like button if you liked it. Hit the dislike if you didn't. Comment. I read every comment that posts on our podcast. Uh, and I'll actually read them after I finish Last of Us, so don't even try spoiling that game for me. Um, other than that, you can follow us on Twitter individually. I am at Jared underscore Dom is at Dom's Oreos. Collectively, we are at CTRLINT. That's Controlled Interest Abbreviated iTunes, head on over there, leave us a five-star review. It helps us out in the algorithm so we move up those charts and people can see our podcast. We're on Spotify, we're on Google Play, we're on all that stuff. Go check out our podcast there. Uh, I find it easiest to listen to podcasts on Spotify, but that's just me. And uh, other than that, we'll catch you guys next week. What's So we'll be t- re- reacting to the Ubisoft stuff because that's going to be taking place on Sunday. And then the following week, we have the Microsoft stuff and this rumored Nintendo Direct that might be taking place as well. So some big weeks ahead of us. And uh, can't wait to talk about it with you, Dom. So we'll catch you guys next week.